0: Hello, and welcome to The Canadian Story, where we discuss what Canada is, what Canada could be, and what Canada should be. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Canadian Story. Uh, I've been absent for a little while, and Zach's been manning the ship quite well, so thank you, Zach. Um, I'm here with Jory. Uh, Jory, would you want to introduce yourself? But before that, I want to say that... Here on The Canadian Story, we are very proud of the truckers and everything that they've done to inspire an entire nation. And I'll I'll say the world, right? The, the entire world has been inspired by Canadian truckers. And I want to talk about what happened at Coots with someone who was there so we can get a true perspective from an eyewitness account. Yeah, so, Jory, sure. give us a little bit about yourself. What, what makes you you? Why do you love this country? Why did you risk it all? for our freedoms.
1: Yeah, for sure. Okay, thanks, David. Um, uh, who am I? <laughs> uh, I guess from a trucking perspective, I'm an entrepreneur. My dad, uh, I grew up riding in the truck with my dad and uh, he you know, bought out my uncle and started a company and the same year that he did that, I kind of started working for him. And then now we're partners in our trucking company and uh, we've grown that. Uh, we have 50 trucks right now. Um, that run all over North America, the bulk of our trucking business is cross-border, or the bulk, and the, all of it prior to the vaccine mandates is cross-border work. And so these uh, the mandates have obviously been a, a giant pain in our side and uh, really hard on our staff and on us as individuals. Um, and, you know, so that that's one reason that we're really passionate about that particular set of things that are going on right now. Um, but yeah, so I've been in the trucking industry for 16 years, um, and, uh, we have a trucking company. And so that's kind of how I would say we're tied to the trucking aspect with the convoy. We kind of started out, um, when they started talking about the freedom convoy and going from BC to Ottawa and a lot of, it was building a lot of momentum. I really liked it. The, the concept of it and the uh, the ideal that, that truck drivers would step up as a group and kind of take their own mantle against it was this very, uh, you know, wells up passion in you for your industry. And, and, you know, the kind of people and the blue collar nature of who they are and, uh, and that truck drivers tend to typically be there that, um, help each other out kind of like, especially Canadian ones, because we face a lot of very intense weather conditions, bad driving and road conditions. If you've ever driven through BC, you know, truckers help out other truckers. Uh, and it's just kind of the nature of who they are is to, to support one another on the road, right? And so for them to step up and say, okay, well, you know, we've been working hard for the last two years to keep groceries on shelves and to get stuff delivered and keep the economy going. And, you know, the majority of truckers more or less ignored mandates in my, like in our world and just thought that was ridiculous. And, you know, especially when you're traveling to America and back every week, you leave Canada, the land of the mandates and the craziness, and you drive into a free country, essentially, from most of their perspective. So you pull your mask off and you go about living your life. They let you in the truck stops, you can eat. And and obviously things change constantly over the last two years, but they experienced on a weekly basis the freedom of America versus Canada and the difference. Like it was right in their face the whole time. It's like Canada's crazy. America's free. It's fine there. It's no big deal. And yet I come here and and we're completely locked down and everything's, you know, that. So I think they're an average cross-border truck driver is a lot different perspective than a Canadian who hasn't left the country or maybe their home in almost two years. They've been out there in the world existing, you know, and out of our 50 truck drivers, we in our business never once paid attention to any mandate within our building and within our property and you know, it kept a very tight knit community here of people that that don't feel that way. And we had fifty truck drivers traveling all over North America for the last two years, and didn't have a single COVID infection of, of a truck driver in two years. Right? Wow! No, we, had, we had one guy get COVID and get very sick, but he was sick when he came to work for us. Like he was, he was ill, and then. Left in the truck and ended up getting sick. And we had Reese, my brother, who's the operations manager, who actually had to travel to the States, pick him up because he was so ill and drive him back here.
0: Wow.
1: Um, so, like you know, but outside of that one isolated circumstance where he contracted COVID prior to ever even working for us. Um, not a single case, not a single major infection. You know, we had some sickness go through our office a time or two, but again, we didn't it was just normal people got sick they stayed home for a couple weeks they came back to work we all lived our lives wasn't a big deal right so that is our our kind of own little community experience with covid and an average cross-border truck driver has a completely different um interaction with covid and mandates and, and experience than the average canadian so when they took up the mantle to fight it it's a lot less surprising than one person might think i think you know So how
0: long do you think this was
1: planned for? The convoy? Man, I don't know. I know there's a lot of, um, in the industry, like a lot of people just disagreed with mandates altogether. And we've all known, we knew that the the mandates were coming to the border for at least, I don't think it was quite six months, but for sure three months prior to those mandates coming in. And I talked, like, it it was an uproar in our company because about a third of our, our drivers are unvaccinated. You know, so there's yeah. a lot of discussion on the matter um as it was coming up because everybody crosses the border every week and uh, going i don't know if they're actually going to do it I don't think they're actually going to do it like they, they can't actually do it could they do that are they going to do that and then you know the date comes and the date goes and and we're going i don't you know this is going to cause supply chain issues this is going to cause rate issues going to cause massive inflation spikes like we can all see it coming. And you'd go talk to any of my friends on the street or my wife was talking to a lady at Costco and just saying, well, you, she's talking about shortages and stuff that they're having and I can't believe the price of And She's like, well, you know that this mandate's coming and that a good percentage of cross-border truck driving is going to be slowed down. It's going to cause more problems. And she's like, really? Like people are shocked to find it out. How, how, why do you think they did it in your
0: opinion? Why do you, why do you think I they did the, it?
1: Wow, that's... Man, like I, I'm not Joe conspiracy Theory. and and to in a lot of extent, I've just ignored that type of talk because I don't think talking about it has really been that beneficial for in a lot of cases. Um, because if you can't do something about it, then just talking about it doesn't necessarily fix the problem, right? They want to see actual actionable things going on. Um, but why do I think they do it? But I without sounding like a full-blown crazy person, I think that they want supply chain issues, you know, to gain more power ultimately, you know, uh, they, they want supply chain issues. I said, they're going to create a food shortage and then they're going to manage how we get our food. And then they're going to be the hero for the problem that they generated. It just, or, or, or they're
0: going to fire 10% of our nurses and doctors. So that the healthcare crisis increases yeah, so well, that, COVID seems worse perhaps. Yeah,
1: friends who are nurses said "I in all the shifts that I've been to in the last two years, we've rarely been staffed up to 50% at, at any given shift. So we're all overworked and the people who aren't there aren't there because they're not allowed to be there because they <laughs> have a sniffle or a runny nose or whatever. And then hospital capacity is actually capacity, is capacity of what we have available. So if we have 50% of our staff and we have 200 beds, well, we only have 100 beds available today because that's all the staff we have right and so oh interesting the, the statistics that that are used to uh um create their narrative are so often uh, messed with as how i would describe it you know at one point dr hinshaw more or less slipped in a in an uh an interview and said that every kid that calls in uh either sick or doesn't attend school is counted as a covid um, yeah, I remember that. that. <laughs> right? And you're like, what? You're watching the television, you're like, no, no, that they could, no. Really? Because my kids didn't go to school a lot because we just, for whatever reason. So I'm saying every time our kids didn't go to school, you counted as a COVID case.
2: Huh. Well, I didn't other, know that. The, other,
1: the,
0: the one that blew my mind was when they were like, that they were equating died with COVID and died from COVID. They were equating those two oh, that, yeah. or, or, or hospitalized from COVID or with COVID. Yeah. Right? And they, that they, one they was equated to, it's like, about what? It.
1: They, they're happy right. not to clarify, right? Like I, I can't remember again, the exact statistic, but Kenny and one of his announcement announcements came out with, well, a lot of the, cause they test, if you're in the hospital and you get admitted, you must be tested for COVID daily from that point forward. And he said 60% or something around that percentage of people who are in the hospital, are counted as an in-hospital COVID case, actually contracted it in the hospital. They were already admitted for something else. So right. they're there for a surgery and they end up testing positive, whether they're sick or not, or asymptomatic, it doesn't matter. 60% of them will be able to So every day they're going to come in and swipe your nose and see if you have COVID or not, if you're in the hospital. So it's like, well, these are just going to ramp numbers up. And and at what point did that become policy, right? Like, so these are the numbers and we're hovering at this. And then one day we decide we're going to test everyone in the hospital with COVID every day. Well, then all of a sudden the numbers spike. And you're like, well, of course they are because you haven't been doing that prior. It's not a comparable, right? Like apples to apples. And it hasn't been from the beginning nor can you necessarily always blame them because things are constantly changing. But the problem is, is when they're changing things to adjust to the narrative that they're trying to create for the scenario. For sure. For right? sure.
2: For sure. Right. So when did you decide to go to Coops?
1: Yes. What, was, point? what um, was the
2: breaking point? So
1: going back to what I said, the, the convoy was starting. They're going from BC to Ottawa I really believed in that and I saw the momentum building and I was proud of what they were doing for our industry, that we were going to stand up and do something. We donated a, a fairly large amount of money to the convoy amount of things. Cause I go I want to be a part of this, but you know, I, I can't, we don't have trucks or drivers and I want to be involved in the Ottawa convoy, but I want to be a supporter of what they're doing. Right. So they came through BC, came through Alberta. Um, lots of people I know were involved in the convoy and at least part of it going through. And my uncle has a couple of trucks from his company that actually ended up going right to Ottawa with them. And we were monitoring it quite heavily. And as they went through Alberta, a lot of the guys from Alberta and the Southern Alberta specifically said, okay, well, what can we do to support the convoy without following them to Ottawa? How can we make their impact bigger across the the country? Right, and so then I got involved in a couple of conversations with other um, trucking company owners that basically said, "Well, we need to do a protest the same day as they hit Ottawa somewhere." And I think in a lot all across Canada, we all need to have a massive protest on the day that they get to Ottawa to create a, a widespread understanding of how you know, even though not every truck driver is with the Ottawa convoy, every truck dr- driver is with the Ottawa convoy. Yeah. So that COOTS thing kind of started getting some traction. um, And and I say this a lot, and I think people need to understand this because a lot of people don't, is that the government, symbolically, the government blocked the border first. When they Mm -hmm. put the mandate on that said, these specific group of Canadians are not allowed to cross the border because they're not vaccinated, they blocked them. It's invisible. You can't see it, but they're blocked. So they created a blockade that in my own company blocked 33% of my my drivers from crossing the border. Oh, get that through. is a
0: really good point.
1: Right? So like, th- they I mean, created the first that? blockade. Can you,
0: can you repeat that? And yeah, it's important.
1: I want people to focus on yeah. that. So again, what I'm saying is, is that when the government mandated that unvaccinated drivers can't cross the border, they created a blockade at the border across the entire border from one end to the other unvaccinated people and they created the tier system of people there are people who are vaccinated unvaccinated and you have more rights than these people have right and that's wrong right that's my belief right i believe so so too yeah the symbolism of blocking the border is is if one canadian can't cross the border because they're less than then no canadian should cross the border
2: Mm, that's an important distinction and that's yeah. what a
1: lot of people don't understand. They just go, "Why are they blocking the borders? They're trying to hurt Canadians." And I won't ever disagree that there's a counterproductive aspect of blocking the border, right? That there there's a negativity of the illegalness of it, the and the fact that it it hurts businesses and trade and all these other things. It hurt my company to the tunes of tens of thousands of dollars for us to block that border because my trucks crossed at that border, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the symbolism of it is that we went to block the border to say if you're going to block some Canadians, we're going to block all Canadians. Yeah. right. And Good. then they need to feel the same sting as the one, because people don't care about, or, or no. at least connect with the fact that there's real Canadian truck drivers that now cannot cross the border. They can't. Well, well, they should have got vaccinated or whatever their excuse is. They made a choice and the government said, you're not going to be discriminated against. You yeah. can't look at your job and no different for nurses or doctors or, Medical workers or whatever—it's the same sort of thing, but it's symbolic in, in its respect, right? And unfortunately, another part of it is there's a multiple aspects of why blocking the border in my mind worked as far as getting um, traction and people seeing it. But um, it's the symbolism of blocking the border. It's the fact that it affects a lot of people that would have not otherwise paid attention. It embarrasses the government in that they they can't control their own border. Like they really, it shows that they're not that powerful at the end of the day. They yes. don't actually have that yeah. much power, right? And then it, uh, and it also affects other countries. Like the US now is paying attention. What the heck's going on up there, right? So yeah. those yeah. all happen at the same time. And unfortunately, I, I said this to a lot of people too. It's like the reason it got a lot of attention and why Coots at certain points was getting more media attention and social social media and general attention than Ottawa was is because it's entertaining yeah it's like watching an episode of yellowstone what's going to happen next the police are coming <laughs> through the blockade right this is yeah. happening the guys are coming with the guns look at this video look at that and people are just dying to see what's so happening The next thing what's happening i actually it, drove
0: it, down because i was dying so bad and actually was there for a night which was awesome yeah. but
1: yeah people want to know what's happening because it's entertaining and in our world where politicians get voted in to control countries based on a popularity contest. We, and and the minute that something gets boring, we swipe by it. We only have a three to four second attention span. People need to be entertained to get their attention. Like if you start to understand social media, you need to either get people's emotions involved, You need to educate or you need to entertain. That's the three aspects. So what are we doing? And this is where Brant and Payton and I really started to dive into this is, is that people will never, ever know about this until goes viral online and that people are going to start paying attention we need the gifts and the tiktoks and the live videos and we need all aspects of this to get out there and just be exploding out on the internet and we need to keep them interested
2: right yeah 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 so what was the mood like on the ground when you got there so you pull up you block it did you just like sit around and go okay now what what happens next or what What was it? like? It morphed a lot. It's, it is
1: a very interesting social experiment. I said that to you know, of course I talk about this all day, every day. It seems like for a long time, (laughs) it's a social experiment. And I, I, a lot of things I knew about people and how they operate. And a lot of things I learned Mm -hmm. about people and how they operate is, you know, we had roughly a thousand vehicles on day one in that massive, right? It was a very, very large kilometers and kilometers long. Um, and and a lot of people attention the highways were lined with people with flags like there is huge support on the on the first day um of it and so people went down there did a couple of slow rolls and then they blocked the border okay and on on day one it's saturday midday the police are like hey hey guys you can't be blocking the border this is bad you need to move and they said well we're not going to and that was about the right. end of the conversation right they're like oh okay i guess the border's blocked then <laughs> and they didn't have the manpower and there's thousands of people and vehicles and they they just there's nothing that could be done for it so they the the police were just and they're kind of used to the idea of these protests going on and they were just starting so there was no pre-deceived notion of of what it was all about and and again everyone was positive and peaceful and there wasn't anything bad going on so the police kind of more or less left it alone so through saturday and sunday It was kind of like a big party and it's the weekend no one has to really be anywhere campers are set up in the ditches and you know for you know probably a half a kilometer to a kilometer long you had the highway line both ways and the ditch right full of campers and cars and people staying there and cooking and setting up and you know hanging out and having a good time well monday rolls around now And, you know, people have been leaving Sunday night and going, well, this is, this is kind of getting serious. Like people are trying to stay here. This is, this is more than I bargained for. I didn't sign. like, I'm I'm not sticking around to see what happens. Like this is going to get hairy at some point. Right. And so lots of people start clearing out. And I think probably again, numbers are tossed around very loosely and I'll do the same thing here, but probably by the end of the day or by Monday morning, we had only maybe 300 vehicles there. So more or less 700 people or vehicles had cleared out campers and everything else. And they kind of re re all focused in on that portion of the border that they were holding. Um, and then on the Monday, the RCMP started showing up in force, right? So they're literally shipping dozens and dozens of police vehicles and cars. And, and now we're starting to have discussions and negotiations like, Hey, you guys are leaving. Like you need to leave now. Like it's Monday. Work is starting to happen. This isn't a joke anymore. You guys got to leave. Right. And it's funny because everyone who who'd come to Coutts, um had come in their own little mini groups um, of whomever, you know, our, our company maybe had 50 or 60 vehicles that came from our location that joined the convoy. There's a large amount from Tabor, Bow Island, um, Lethbridge, and they kind of all converged and went out there together. But, you know, their perspective leaders are just somebody who created a meeting place and said, this is what we're doing. And we all kind of ran out there. So now when the police are starting to really apply pressure and they want to talk to someone or who's in charge here and negotiate or whatever, there isn't anyone in charge. It's, right, a, right. it's just a bunch of people. And there's some people who might, you know, have rapport with a good percentage of the people that are there or who are more well-respected in the community. Um, and And kind of between Monday and Friday of that week, uh, there were a half a dozen guys that kind of came up out of the word work. Some of them who are just really passionate speakers who are really st- feel strongly about freedom and have everything on the line. Some of them that are, you know, more pillars of the community that are a little bit more articulate, well rounded in their thought process. But it more just became people who people just generally looked up to, rose out of the the group and yeah. were willing to speak. And Spontane. so they became, you know
0: the cometh the hour, cometh the man kind of thing.
1: Yes. So they become the de facto leaders. And so I but that particular group of people, I didn't have a huge amount of rapport with a lot of them. Um, I didn't know a lot of them, they didn't know me. Um, so I have a lot of opinions and thoughts, but I there was already too many cooks in the kitchen, and it was hard enough to establish any kind of organization or leadership there in the first place, and so I kind of just let myself step back and let the guys who are kind of taking the lead, take the lead. But the thing that you got to understand about taking the lead in that instance is that if you're the leader of a business or the owner of a business, you sign paychecks and people more or less socially agree that you're the boss of them and they do what you say. If you're in the army, you've worked your way through the ranks and you've been given authority by a governing body and people are expected to listen to you you know, you go to a church, you were hired as a pastor, you have a uh, elders that hold you accountable. And there's this, there's all these hierarchical structures that keep like the system is built on and people follow it. Right. Whereas here, no one has sworn loyalty or agreement to anybody. And so
0: this is the no church in the wild kind of thing.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there were a few scenarios where the leaders would go meet or talk with the police or, Talk with some MLAs or get some kind of traction. They come out and tell you know the the crowd of angry truckers in in the <laughs> saloon where we were. Right, right. This is what we're gonna do, and they would have a full on mutiny like right there. We're yelling and <laughs> screaming at each other, and this is my opinion. And it would take an hour and a half or two hours to ha- have people heard. And it was I'll, I'll say a shockingly and miraculously respectful, um, e- although passionate. Um, and it always kind of worked out in the end. And, and, and typically everyone would say what they had to say and everyone get their opinions out, everyone would pray. And then we would take more or less a vote or, you know, it it would come to an agreement and this is what we would do. Right. And so it was super, super messy and very stressful, but you know, it, it worked itself out. Right. And then by the end of the first week, a lot of, you know, we, we were losing people by the day because sometimes when a decision was made, some people go, well, I'm out then. I, I don't believe in what this is going on here. And so we're gonna leave. Or um there was a lot of political and financial pressure that came from um large feedlots, big corporations. Um, you know, these guys all have businesses and trucks and equipment, and they have a level of loyalty, or they're owned in part by somebody um yes. financially. Yeah. And so a lot of people like left in the middle of the night almost ashamedly because they got pressure from someone that was going to ruin them if they didn't. Right. And so little by little, inch by inch, chisel by chisel, you know, people start getting, getting pushed out. Right. And at that time they had blocked at milk river. And so they wouldn't allow anyone in who was pro support um, to coots. And so as people would leave, they let them leave, but nobody ever. So so what did
0: that, what did that feel like in that moment where you're watching everything kind of did it feel like you were losing momentum or what did you feel like?
1: Yeah. And that, that's where the thing is that was really tough for a lot of them is that we did keep a core group there. And, and by the end of the first week, it was kind of like, if you're here, you're here, right? Like if you stayed a week and yeah, you're not all, going anywhere. all the pressure yeah, yeah. and the, the, the Tuesday, the day four, where we had the police kind of bear down on us and we, created a big group and you know yes. they basically turned and ran and they came to the barricaded milk river in that big scuffle that was kind of the the stand if you want to put it that way yes suits. yes um after that you if you were there you were kind of there i didn't lose a few very many people after that um what, what did that it, teach you about human psychology and kind of sociology what did that teach me well it's uh I it, it, I would say that I understand the divide and conquer and the psychological warfare that people like the RCMP use to divide and conquer and chisel down people. And, and like, I knew quite a bit about negotiations and like the hostage situation, read a lot of books on that and business ideas about it. And it became very apparent in a non-business way of how, how to wear down your opponent when you, when you take, like when you play it out tactically. We weren't playing anything tactically, really, for the most part. And, and the joke was, was well, you, your camp's been infiltrated, or there's undercover cops in there, or they're hearing what you're saying. And I would just laugh, like, well, it's not really that complicated. There's no <laughs> there, guys. It's like it's not like we've got this big secret meeting that we're having and we're gonna just throw them a sidewinder. Like yeah, exactly. The What's the same with take back Alberta
0: in a sense? It's like it's not complicated. There's a vote. Yeah, we're gonna
1: go to it. He's yeah. gonna find out. Like. We're blocking the road. We want our mandates dropped. Yeah, like I'm trying to get that message out there. I'm not trying to hide it, right? Yeah, exactly. I I want
0: you to drop the mandates, folks.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's a big secret. What we actually want is the mandates dropped.
0: Yeah. All this time. (laughs) Great. So
1: you know, so that was a bit of the joke of it. So the the beauty of it is that the people who were there and truly dedicated to it, the core group of the guys that stayed at coots from the beginning till the time that we left, um, they all were very clear on the message and why they were there. And there was not really any question. And the leaders were then given a lot more latitude as it progressed, because they, there was some trust built between the group. Right. Um, not to say that there wasn't some, there was plenty of psychological things like people who kind of came to, to create a, To stir people up and create a defector like they want everyone to leave and 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 you at a certain point you just started to see oh okay this guy's here to stir up trouble and try and get people to leave or this guy's here to try and radicalize the group if he can and or whatever like it became really obvious and
2: would those people come as civilians
1: yeah yeah they would so like um there were ways to get into coots like if you had a pickup truck and you're willing to drive, you know, half hour worth of back roads and jump through a field or whatever, there are ways to get in. So in the evenings, especially like say there was every morning, there might've been 150 or 200 people around having breakfast by the evening. There was three, four 500 people often because people would kind of trickle in throughout the day or a lot in the evening, especially because they want to see, or they have family there, or they have friends there, or they just want to show up and see what's going on, but now they have nowhere to stay. Right. Like they they're there in a pickup and if they're not willing to sleep in their pickup truck, then they're going to leave. So then they would come in for the evening and then we would balloon in size. And then every morning, again, you're back down to your couple hundred people. Right. 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 And so then weird, weird people would show up. I I, I heard a scenario where a guy had come in and was trying to sell drugs. Yeah, in, in the group. And they actually, a, a couple of the leader more guys that had been there all along kind of rounded that guy up, walked him out to the police that were parked outside, say, hey, this guy's selling drugs, here you go. And they drove <laughs> him out. Right. And that <laughs> That's amazing. Happened, less, <laughs> a half a dozen times, there were scenarios where this guy's kind of weird and I don't know what he's up to, but can you take him out of here, please? And they would take him out and the police would take him away and kind of that kind of scenario. Right. So you know, it was was it's just incredible to me
0: that like like yeah that that it was such a natural human community that developed that was like very protective, but there was no violence. Like, how do you think that happened? Because like that's what they were trying to get you guys to do over and over again. Yeah,
1: and that's what they wanted. Like, they would come in and force, or they would threaten us, or you know, like I'm walking back to the truck one night to for to bed. It was late. It was around midnight, and a cop car comes flying in lights on into the middle of the blockade. And I'm like, what the heck's going on? So I'm kind of watching and he flips a UE down at the bottom and <laughs> flies back out. Like, what That's it. What are you even doing? And they're just trying to stir people up and get them excited and wear them down and play games. And, and, uh, you know, they would come in and threaten that you're going to get arrested or all your things are going to be seized, or you're going to be charged $10,000 a day for every day you're going to be here and all, all these reasons. And the funny, the funny thing is, and most people won't really understand this, but myself and Brent Payton, um, I was getting messages in, in, the probably at the peak up to like a thousand a day, um, through Facebook, Instagram, telegram signal, um, direct messages to me. And a lot of them were of information. Yeah. Like I got texted pictures of underco- undercover police officers that were there. Like, here's the picture of the guy that's there. I heard from a friend of a friend of a friend that this Whoa. guy. Was and I, I'm like, okay, whatever. Again, I don't recognize the guy and it doesn't matter, but I'm just like the, the information that was coming in or about. And you couldn't intel. tell what's real and what's not right. And and a lot of it's misinformation, but a lot of it actually came out to be more or less true in the end. And so, you know, like I got a call from a guy that worked at the airport Um that you know said, hey, the RCMP, uh, RCMP um, intelligence plane is here and it's been flying over top and taking pictures of stuff and there's this many helicopters and I was talking to this guy and he said that one of the big RCMP plans is that they're going to start um, breathalyzing everyone because they think everyone's partying, drinking down there and they're going to start hauling people out for drinking and driving. Well, the next time we came in, they breathalyzed us when we came in. So wow. but like the Intel was coming in and it was the hilarious part is there was nobody drinking like the, that, that I'm not going to say nobody, but there were no alcohol allowed at the saloon. Ironically that we were at, if there was one time I saw a guy bring a beer in and they told them to get it out of there, we're not drinking here. The, the people that were there were there for a reason. These people are truck drivers they are working guys and they're, they're doing a job. Like that's the, yeah. the attitude of it. We really so understand. We're in job. a
0: job, so we are not drinking while we are on the job. You yeah, we're not drinking. If you're, you're a truck driver.
1: On. You can't be drinking while you're on the job. Exactly, and that they're all used to that. And so, you know, guys, basically, it was kind of like a truck stop. They're standing around drinking coffee, and there's plenty of food. And people were, you know, I there's multiple people that came down from the town of Coots that had issues. My my employee who is with me down there, his name's Derek. A lady had come and when it was minus 30, her pipes had broken at her house. No, like her water pipes. So Derek went down to her house and fixed it for her and got her all back up and running. And, and, and like that's the kind of stuff that was going on. We shoveled all the sidewalks in the town one night, right? Um, right. I had a meeting with the mayor about halfway through being down there, and he, you know, was very leery originally. Uh, when we were coming, when he found out we were coming, he'd actually sent a letter out to all of the citizens to say, Hey, batten down the hatches, lock all your stuff up, just be prepared. This could be bad. Like, transients end up coming, and no. I don't know what's going to happen. But, right. Which I don't blame the guy. Like, he's the mayor. No, he's true, warning true. constituents. He has no idea what's what's coming. Like, think about BLM and and Antifa and all that kind of stuff. Like, protests don't have a positive. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right no. now, they're pretty. Uh, yeah, exactly. True. True. Right. And so, and then, so then that, that day or the next day after I'd had a meeting with him and he's a really super nice guy, he, his words, were, what he said to me is the only problem I've had since you guys have been here is that the police are driving too fast for, through town and ignoring traffic signs. And I've had a few residents complain that they can't play on the street because the police keep ripping through town. <laughs> and he actually, the very next day, they had a town council meeting and the, the, Members of the town actually were reaming him out for scaring them about the people that are coming to Coots that have been so awesome while they're there. <laughs>
0: that is incredible. Yeah. Oh, so he said, him. You
1: guys have been great for this town. You put us on the map. Our, our the restaurant in town is doing amazing. All of the, any business that existed there is good. The sidewalks are shoveled. The residents are not afraid. Many residents were giving people access to their showers, their bathrooms, letting people sleep there. Like it it was very good, and I'm sure there's you know there's always an outlier. There's going to be a couple of people that are scared or you know aren't willing to to risk it or whatever. But a lot of people were benefited and blessed by that group being there. And when I said to the mayor when I met with them, and the reason I met with them, is they said if there is anything, literally anything negative, I want you to send me a message and I will take care of it personally. Yeah. And this yeah. I want the town of Coots to be deeply saddened when we leave here. That's right. the narrative. <laughs> yes. of that. Yeah. Ah, So so wait, so wait a minute. Wait a second, Jory. When are you gonna run for office? (laughs) I've been asked a few times. I I I don't know. Yeah. We'll see how take Buck over it You and I need to
0: have a sit-down chat about that because I think um that you you've proven yourself a leader and you you became a leader organically. But you know how from what I can tell, you became a leader by taking responsibility
1: and taking on as
0: much responsibility as you could.
1: Yeah, and servant leadership. Like the thing is is like I said, I didn't I didn't try and stick my nose in the leadership of the decision-making of what happened down there. I, I kind of had to just step back and say, Hey, it's in God's hands. And I trust that no, the guys bad. that are in leadership here are going to do the best that they can mm-hmm. and that their hearts are in the right place. And so I'm just going to back them. But I did see the gap that I saw was in the narrative the social media presence and information. And I guess the point that we're going to on this and we're going to get to is the legacy media and how they were reporting. Yes. Yeah, so,
2: so I want to clarify, from from your perspective, would you by chance claim that the people at Coots were not violent racist Nazis? Would that be your position?
1: Sorry, consider that they're
2: not... They were not violent racist Nazis? Do you feel like you were perhaps misrepresented? There, there may you
1: know, <laughs> that could probably be true. What you're saying, um, and they they certainly are not. And and man, how, I do not know the exact details of the whole seizure of guns and everything. I know a fair amount about it. Some of it I I'm not sharing because you know it could implicate some people and things, and that information doesn't need to get out. Um and it's not proven in fact it's just opinion so it doesn't matter anyways but um i met multiple of the guys who were arrested and mm-hmm. although they were maybe big burly young full of piss and vinegar sort of guys that believe in freedom i saw no ounce or trace of violence or threats from any of them other than other than being young and and wanting to fight for their freedom like they're passionate right and the thing that I say to everyone is like, okay, so the government, the federal government, the provincial government, every government that exists is just screaming from the rooftops, right-wing radical, diagolon Plaid Army, gun violence, murderous, blah, 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 but nothing happened, right? We were there nothing. for 18 days.
2: Yeah, so that's and- that's a very important distinction to draw out. Was there ever at any point violence at coots
1: none, not a single bit of violence anywhere and were you there and
2: just just to make it even more clear were you there from the first day to the last day
1: i was there from the very first day to the last day i did go home on uh the two sundays i went home to get a shower see my family and come back so i was gone for chunks of hours you know 12 hours at a time here and there um but for the most part, I was there the entire time. And when I wasn't there, I was in direct contact with people that were on the ground there and getting updates as they were flowing because I was keeping the public updated through social media. But um, there, there was one assault that happened, allegedly, um, when the barricade was broke through on the Tuesday, where there was a little car accident between a resident and uh, and one of the people coming through the blockade. Um, where, and again, I don't know the details, but they were just upset because, you know, they'd been in a car accident and it was a very um, tense situation. And so that allegedly there was some violence at that point, whether someone threw a punch or got pushed someone else or something like that. But that is the only registered bit of information of any kind of violence in the entirety of the situation.
0: And if there had been violence, we would have seen videos. This is where I feel like it's a little bit miraculous, right? Because there- the eyes of the entire world were on Koot at, at certain moments. Oh,
1: literally, and hundreds of hours of video, live footage, yes. and and videos going at all time in every area. And no violence. No violence. And no like, not even violence. We're not. We're not talking. There's no arguments. Right? There's no yeah. <laughs> people getting upset and and like for for reference, when the first days that it was blocked. We had blocked in truck drivers who had crossed the border that couldn't go back, but were stuck between the blockade and the border. Okay, for so two and a half, roughly days, those guys were actually trapped, and I we more or less said they felt like we were holding them hostage, which isn't what we wanted, right? Now those guys were daily offered food. They had bathrooms. They had uh, the saloon, a heated place to go to. Like every amenity was offered to them that we could provide until we released them. So there was one guy in there that was, you know, on day one, he was dancing in the street with people and eating the food and all happy. And by day two, he was running around at the tie down bar threatening. If we didn't let him go, that he was going to start fashion people's windshields in. So, you know, and they have footage of both him dancing and hanging out with the guys and then, uh, and then footage of him running around tied on bar. When he left, he shook hands with the or, with some of the guys and, and they gave him some money for whatever. And I can't remember exactly the details, but that was the, the most heated anything ever got there whatsoever at right. Coots. Right? Wow. So it, in my mind, and between Ottawa and Coutts, but from my exact um, experience at Coots, the protests that happened in Alberta and across the entire country uh, probably set a, a world precedent. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Miraculous scenario to have literally tens and tens and tens of thousands of people protesting without any property damage. Without any real actual violence and arrests or anything of that nature, without any, they, they didn't leave garbage. <laughs> so, yeah. They set up a whole town. That's better the than ditch.
0: Woodstock, right? They did. I was there. There was a town there.
1: There was a full blown town feeding hundreds of thousands of people, um, fire pits and everything. And drive by there now and see what's there. Like yeah. it's a clean ditch. It's cleaner than than anything. Yeah, Same with coots. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I we
0: we we have ten minutes left, but I have two big questions. Yeah. The first is, what did it feel like? So there's a line in a Rudyard Kipling poem, "If," where it says, "If you can deal with being lied or if you can being lied about, not deal in lies, or being hated, not give way to hating, and yet not talk too big, nor act too wise." Right. That's kind of what you guys did. You you were real men and then like the end of the poem is if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance running then yours is the earth and everything that is in it and what is more you'll be a man my son. Right and I see these truckers as like you said they were doing a job. So they aren't going to drink and be disorderly. What I think has happened is that we've the rest of the world has forgotten the absolute quality of a person that ha- you have to be to be the working class mm-hmm. to deal with reality every single day and make it work Pe- yeah so many people are comfortable they've forgotten that it is hard to be that it is hard oh. to do that that it yeah. takes
1: character to do that well and truck drivers like i said this to people do truck drivers are an extremely abused trait like they're expected to sit and wait for hours and sometimes days without explanation they uh, are per- pers- like one of the most heavily regulated and persecuted in- industries for, as far as safety and regulation and they can just be pulled in and strip searched of uh, their truck and they they're just used to it right and and right. they just take it and do their job and, and a very hard job you're out alone with a piece of equipment running across the entire continent uh, in horrible weather conditions, like it's an extremely emotional roller coaster and extremely mentally tough job. And people yes. do not respect it for what it really is, for no. what truck drivers really are. And for them to be the ones doing that job and to do it peacefully, it, it doesn't surprise me at all. They they are extremely uh, mentally tough and principled people.
0: And And you know what, that is such a good reflection because there's a kind of stoicism in trucking, right. Mm-hmm. In, in that. And, and what funnily, I don't think this could have happened anywhere else in the world, right? Because what are the two words that Canadians are known for? Sorry and a right. Mm-hmm. We're the most polite population in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and,
1: and, the and the other part stand is up. that we actually got mapped like when did you ever see a mad Canadian and our and our madness is going and standing in the street and and saying we don't like that and putting up a hot tub and a bouncy castle like we're we're just going to try and have a good time here because yes. we're, we need the government to know that we're here so but you know while we're here well let's have some food and let's sing single Canada and let's say the Lord's Prayer and let's do all the things that make us patriotic and and be polite about it like you know, the cops are running them down and, and running horses over them and their people are are still saying, sorry, right? Like,
0: <laughs> but, but they're saying sorry with style, right? Yeah. That's the beauty
1: of it. And, and I think that it's a, it's with anything, what usually is your greatest trait is also your worst enemy, right? The reason why we've let this go on so far is because we are so kind and compliant and anti-conflict and everything. Like, you know, the Canadian standoff is holding the door for each other, right? Like the joke of it is, how can we be, how can we out, how can we out polite the next person, right? So when they ask you to put a mask on or they ask you to keep your distance or they ask you to stay home or you ask, like, we're just going to be like, oh, if, and this the virtue signaling garbage with it all is like, okay, well you're a more virtuous person if you wear three masks instead of one, or if you get well, get, if you'll take an experimental vaccine, uh, is it's that is even though it doesn't keep the other person safe, they're telling you that it does because that's what Canadians resonate with. Oh, if I do this, it's going to keep other people safe. They'll yeah. eat that for breakfast. Canadians love keeping other people safe. It's true it's true. That's what we they like want shoveling we
0: like shoveling each other's driveways and taking care of one another bringing 100%. each other food. Yeah.
1: And that's why they're saying it over and over and over from the from the parliament. Well, we're going to be there for each other and we're going to help out our neighbors and and it's all lies but it resonates with the Canadian public because that's what we believe in as a country. Right? And that's yes. why it went on and on and on and on and on to this point where we got upset because it's like we we've been genuinely for two years genuinely trying to help out our neighbor and do what is right and now we're realizing that we've been screwed with this whole time
0: and we don't like that that's the other thing everyone thinks canadians are nice we're we're kind and we're polite but we're tough right yeah our favorite sport our favorite sport is putting blades on our feet and bashing Mm -hmm. each other into the boards
2: yeah politely (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah. we always apologize right yeah like if you say a story
1: <laughs> after all well, that was a, Sorry, good, one, bro, <laughs> yeah. a good one bro you know yeah so one thing i did want to say while we we're on here too and you got one more question yeah. Just the the whole gun situation in coots and this is the misrepresentation is and the point that we said is that nothing actually ever happened and there's no proof behind any of the claims about how many guns were there, where those guns were, if it was even illegal, because it's not illegal to have long guns in your camper trailer or in your house. And and where did it all come from and where, like the the whole of it to me is such a false flag and a narrative that was created to discredit the whole movement. And the more they say it in parliament, the more I believe it is that they needed, they needed a, a smoking gun, literally, but it, it, again, even if those guys actually brought those guns in, they were locked in a trailer and they never dawned the light of day right in the midst of anything that happened. They came down to arrest us, no one pulled their guns out and started shooting. Right, no, nothing no. happened yeah. ever. And that's the thing that Canadians need to remember is a lot of people own guns. A lot of people are very passionate about their their uh their freedom, but no Canadians have taken a gun and threatened a police officer in during any of this the whole place. time during this whole time and over exactly. weeks and weeks and weeks of the RCMP bearing down on, uh, on coots on milk river, like on milk river when they bear down on force of nearly a hundred police without warning, they linked arms, Sango Canada and prayed for them. Like, <laughs> give me a break.
2: <laughs> that like, yeah. you have to take a moment to appreciate that. That is insane. Yeah. That's it a is. miracle. When, when has, That's a miracle. When has that ever happened? Never. It's well, okay. You know what? Gandhi. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And you're like, we don't, we wouldn't compare ourselves to Gandhi because we're, we're too. Oh no, we're not Gandhi. You know, not <laughs> every Canadian isn't Gandhi, but we are. No. Let's. <laughs> yes, we sorry. are. it's we the are. same. I love it. I love yeah. it.
0: Okay. So, you, my you last said had question, another one? Jory. My last question. What do you think of Jason Kenney after all of this?
1: Oh, what do I think of Jason Kenney? You know what? Uh, Jason Kenney, I voted for Jason Kenney first off. When Brian Jean and Jason Kenney were in a horse race, I like Brian Jean as well. I liked them both um, at that time. Um, but I thought Jason Kenney was more of a bulldog that would get stuff done and that he he was experienced and he was going to come in and, and, you know, break the mold and do something different, where Brian Jean might have been just a little too nice, right? And I I said to I've talked to a dozen MLAs and MPs about this over the course of the last few weeks. And I said, you know, what happened to the Jason Kenney that uh, that come driving in in his Dodge pickup and is a fighter for industry and the people and the blue collar workers of our world? What happened? And a lot of them said to me, something changed in the middle of the pandemic, because at the beginning of the pandemic, he was fighting for us actually pretty decently. You know, he's got a lot of pressure. There's left and right to contend with in his province. As a good democratic uh premier, he has to take into account for both and try and provide solutions for both sides. I appreciate that. I believe in democracy. Um, but something flicked the switch at some point, and he just went off the rails, so to speak, as far as just I'm going with the narrative, and this is the data. And and I I said a cop-out of our political leaders to health specialists right they yes. all want to cover their butt because if anybody dies and they're going to blame me for it i can't have that so i'm going to go to a doctor and i've said that to many people okay so if you go to your doctor and you say hey i want to go back to work i'm feeling pretty good but the doctor thinks that you are you know mm, you're on the edge like you'll probably be fine but if you took another two weeks off then you'll be off, you'll be good for sure okay that's how doctors work right yeah it doesn't cost them any money for you to take another month off work, but man, no. they're their butt covered if you if something happens. That's how doctors work. That's why you don't let a, a doctor or an accountant run your business because they're too safe, right? Right. You have, yes. You have yes to find the yes. risk point. versus reward and make the right decision. That's what entrepreneurs have to do every day. And and Kenny's at a certain point, he whether he got bought out, paid for, they got something on him, whatever. He just checked out and said, "Well, we're everyone's just letting the, the health officials decide, and so that's what I'm going to do too." And that's not governing. He no, ab- that's ad- not he leading. Abdicated right? He advocated
0: his position. Yeah, right? I agree.
1: And and especially like, and it's been obvious through this whole uh, Coots thing and prior that he's he has lied directly to Albertans on on many occasions. Um, uh, at, I'll never lock you guys down again. Two weeks later, he locks you down again. Um, there were police assaulted at the border. There were no police assaulted at the border. You know, things like that. Whether they be small or big or whatever, the guy's willing to lie, obviously, right? And I don't, and we're all very short-minded and and I think we need to not forget um, that a liar is a liar at the end of the day, right? Because he now t- he's gone the other way. He's trying to save his job. He's going to go against the federal government. He's going to, he believes in freedom all of a sudden and all these things, but you know, he's just trying to get reelected. He's trying to not get fired. He's trying to maintain his job or whatever. And it, it's, I think he's he's going down either way. Um, so what do you think, think?
0: What do you think we should? What do you think we should do about it?
1: Well, there's the take back Alberta thing. I, I think of all the plans and things I've heard of, I think it's the the most um, measured approach that actually can hold consistent long term power more or less so whether you want to be called the lobby group or not it gives the power back to a group of people that have canadians have abdicated their role in government yes, as individuals yes, right? exactly all yes. of us blue-collar workers we just want to be left alone and do our job and hang out with our kids and go camping on the weekends like we don't want to talk to politicians we don't want to have to give our opinions we don't want to have anything to do with that I don't want to buy a yeah. membership and go to an no. SGM or an AGM. <laughs> right. You're Nobody like, wants the that.
0: last thing you want to do. <laughs> but,
1: you know, the, we, we also didn't want to go to the border and, and sit there for 18 days and lose tens of thousands of dollars and, you know, risk getting criminal records and all kinds of other stuff. But we're, like all blue-collar people, We're willing to do what it takes when it really counts. And I think that yes. the Take Back yes. Alberta thing is partially that. And I think that if we've learned a lesson, um as canadians and average joe type guy canadians is that you can't just ignore politics for so long or they will slowly roll over you and tell like you think that they're going to leave you alone until they don't yeah right yeah
0: that is thank you for saying that jory because i think that's the most important message of all of it like people think that we need better leaders no we need better citizens
1: yeah, and it like I went to Edmonton on Tuesday and, and went to a protest there and um trying to look at legal protests. And I got to say, I was incredibly disheartened, right? And as a Canadian, for the last two years, I've been incredibly disheartened because as much as I can, you know, be really unhappy, I'm, I don't like to throw the word hate around, but, you know, hate Jason Kenney and Justin Trudeau and what they're doing, what they stand for. They were still elected. They were still put in. There, there's still, you know, there might be a hundred thousand Canadians protesting, or a million, and, and but that's still not even a, a drop in the bucket. It's not even three percent of people speaking out and trying. And at the end of the day, especially when we voted Trudeau back in after all of the corruption and all the ethics violations and all the money going missing and all the proof of his corruptness, it it made me begin to believe, and I still struggle with this daily. That, I I don't like. This is what Canadians are. This is what it means to be Canadian now. Is that I I'm okay with my rights being trampled. I'm okay with um, corrupt government. I I want to be taken care of. I'm weak. I'm sad. I'm. This is where yeah, this is what scared. Canadians are becoming, scared. and I don't resonate scared. with that. So am I even a Canadian? Do I want to be Canadian? And that that would be the biggest. Painful heart struggle that I have to deal with now and and have conversations on the daily about. There's so many people I know that are fleeing this country now.
0: Now yeah, the, we the, well, the, Zach, Zach, Zach and in. I have a
1: cousin who's left. He's gone. Yeah, one guy, a good friend of mine, very well off uh, genius of a businessman, owns a lot of properties and uh you know does really well for himself. He he decided yesterday, he listed everything he owns all of his Canadian properties, all of his assets are for sale. And he, he's moving. As soon as he's got all, everything liquidated, he's gone. Him and his yep. wife. And, that it, that's
0: it. And you know I what? We have an opp- I think we have an opportunity—a last opportunity, perhaps—to take back our province and actually make this place the place we believe it is. People like you and I believe it is. Mm-hmm. And I think that that we will. Honestly, yeah. I think those people are going to come back. And yeah. in fact, I believe—and this is, you know—I don't know if this will happen, but this is my belief. I think we're a million people are going to move to Alberta in the next ten years. Oh, because yeah. we're going to become a beacon of hope for freedom. And that's my hope. Oh, we, have,
1: we have great industry, great jobs. We oh. have all the things of the world going for us here. Alberta is one that has the potential to be the most proper, prosperous place in the world, in my belief. I agree oh, with that. Yes. Yeah. But what I can't decide is, is that you know I, I believe in Albertans probably more than anybody um, in Canada. I don't like to segregate. Um, and I haven't been proud to be Canadian for two years. But I actually had Canadian pride when I was at Coots and when yes. I saw what was going on in Ottawa and when I saw people from Quebec and Ontario and Manitoba and Saskatchewan and Alberta and BC and everybody come together. It made me want to be Canadian. It made me believe in what it has meant to be Canadian for the last 100 years especially, right? But it, we need so much more. Like not nearly enough Canadians are awake right now. Not nearly enough Canadians care to to have to deal with the inconvenience of the emotional and physical pain of doing what it takes to save our country.
0: Yeah, but you know what? The truckers inspired a nation and they inspired a world, and you were one of those people. I wanna thank you for that because I have loved this country for a very long time. And given, I give all of my twenties to basically public service, right? Uh, In politics and in government. And I had lost my love for this country. Yeah, over the COVID, and I was gonna leave, and I, and, you know, I can leave. I've got the money, I've got the abilities. I could just go, but mm-hmm. because of what you and people like you did, and I probably color black background, background. So is uh, Zach. Like I did roofing and concrete, and like I, we get it. But I wanted to, I wanted to go, and you guys kept me here, and it made me want to fight.
1: Well, and this is what I've said to many people is like, yeah, could I start a business in the States and get residency and move down there? Yeah, I could. I have 80, 80 plus employees in Canada. I have friends and family here. I, I, I feel like I'd be abandoning them as a leader of many people. How that's not servant leadership to me. And that's what I, my, who I am and what I intend to be is in, in full of integrity and honor and respect and care about my community. Leaving doesn't do that for me right? It, yeah. it doesn't solve the problem. Like it, it does. Someone needs to stand up and fight for those people, even if they won't fight for themselves. Right. And I'm just as, as bad as anyone else who's ignored government for the last 20 years. Right. I I'm guilty as charged, right? Like I stood, I stood up for the last month, but that doesn't make up for 20 years of ignoring it. Well, you can make up for it by being involved for in the next 20 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that is the, if it, that's the thing that I think needs to change for me. And, and that's every the message
0: day. from for Take Back yeah, Albert. That's the full messages. I like to say the good news is we're voting out a tyrant on April 9th. The bad news is you have to be involved forever now.
1: Yeah, you need to stay in it. We all need to yeah. stay in it. And, and that's the thing I actually really liked about Take Back Albert is it's okay, this is step number one, but then it's not over. Now no. we are a powerful group of of citizens who can actually make effective change over decades. If we stay in it.
0: Exactly. We just got to stay in it. That's yeah. the biggest thing.
1: All right. Well, I got to go here, but
0: thank you very much, Jory. I've loved yeah. this conversation. Uh, Zach, do you have any last words?
2: Yeah, Jory. I just, I want to thank you for taking up the mantle of responsibility. I want to thank you for not taking the bait when baited, for not becoming violent, for standing up for integrity, for standing up for doing things the right way, yeah. um, that took character, and you and the the people that surrounded you um, showed great example of character. And uh, Canadians have a lot to glean from that. So thank you for being that example.
1: Thanks, so. Zach. Trying to do it, but I think everyone should. So, thank you for listening to the Canadian
0: story. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at TheCADStory. That's The C-A-D Story. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. Let's work together to remind Canadians how great their country is.